0: Hi, everyone. This is Jamak. I am the creator of Data Mesh, uh, the founder of NextData. We are reimagining what data sharing could look like. We are growing our team rapidly, and we need you. If you are a distributed systems engineer, if you're a product manager or designer of a large scale PaaS, SAS infrastructure, please check out our page at nextdata.com and look at our open roles. We'd love to hear from you.
1: A written transcript of this episode is provided by Starburst. For more information, you can see the show notes. Welcome to Datamesh Radio with your host, Scott Hurlman, sponsored by Starburst. This is Adrian Astala, VP and Field CDO at Starburst and host of Datamesh TV. Starburst is the leading contributor to Trino, the open source project radio episodes there if you want to dig into specific topics rather than digging through 200 different episodes. So with that, let's hit the funky intro music and listen to what you'll hear about in this interview episode. Giving buy-in for decomposing the monolith and then actually doing it? Bottom line up front, what are you going to hear about and learn about in this episode? I interviewed Brenda Contreras, who's the VP of Engineering and Architecture at Self Financial. So here are some key takeaways or thoughts from Brenda's point of view. Number one, she said, quote, iterate small and sell your solutions on a practical level. I think it's just great advice. I think really take that to heart. Number two, it's kind of funny how often people in tech try to skip the communication aspects of things. If you really align on communication and understanding, your business partners are far more likely to empower you to drive business value for them through engineering and data work. You just have to get them to understand what you're trying to do and work with them to actually assess what's going to be a value and why. Number three, potentially controversial one. As an engineering data leader, don't dictate. Set the vision, explain the the vision to business partners, but try to let your technical team leverage patterns that will work for them instead of only kind of your favorite one way. Number four, similarly, make sure your team understands which aspects of target outcomes drive value and why. They might have an approach you didn't expect, but if they aren't focused on the key aspects of the outcome, even amazing feats of engineering won't create value if it's not tied to business needs. Number five, fail fast is very important to doing microservices right. How can we learn to adopt it in data and AI? Brenda said, quote, we need to be able to experiment more. We need to be more flexible. That's to really drive the business value quicker and easier. Number six, before you start to decompose anything, it's crucial to understand what you already have. That can sound a bit obvious, but if you start trying to do the work before understanding the, the before picture of the overall organization, getting to a good after picture is going to be very hard. You're just going to make it that much harder by trying to start now instead of when you're actually kind of understanding what you're trying to do and why. Number seven, you have to understand the landscape of your systems, but it's equally important to understand how those systems power the actual business, not just the business systems, the business, right? What matters and why? Talk with and carefully listen to your business partners to find that that information. Number eight, it's crucial to align with your business counterparts on big picture visions and then what aspect of the big picture you will address and get clear on the why and, and especially the when that often gets kind of left behind. This can feel obvious, but it's often overlooked. Often, Overcommunicate, share your vision often and far and wide. Number nine, your business line leaders don't care about the how of tech. Most of the time, at least, they don't care. They do care how you can support them in tackling their goals and challenges. Make your communication about changes focused on tackling their goals and challenges. They don't care how the sausage is made. They care that they're hungry and they want to know what's going to be in it, right? Like, what is the actual, what's this going to taste like? Is this going to be a good meal for me? Number 10, it's absolutely valid even in data mesh or a microservices journey, to have a kind of sustain bucket. Things don't need to change for the sake of change. Legacy doesn't have to mean bad or a headache or or this is next on the chopping block. Number 11, when you start to talk about breaking down the monolith internally, it's important to sell people on the reality. Managing smaller systems at that actual smaller systems level is easier. Having one group that owns a set of systems and that it's clearly defined who owns it and how and why, that's going to make it much easier to find the information you need when you go, I need this information. Who owns it? Okay, I can go talk to those people. But microservices isn't easy, but it does make things much easier to manage at that kind of smaller level because you're not managing nearly as many moving pieces as you do in a monolith. Number 12 save talking deep tech or deep data for the people doing the tech or data work. When you talk to business partners, just abstract that for them. They don't care about the particulars of your system for sending emails. They care care that the emails are reliably sent to customers and that they're tied to kind of the business aspect of how the, the business actually works. They don't care about the system as long as it's reliable and it does what they want. Number 13, when you start moving towards microservices, look to start setting up your domains around your products. Then you can start to break your systems down into microservices from there. You should think about this the data mesh in the same way. Don't start building the data products without knowing the exact owner and why they actually own it. Number 14, don't try to toss out the old in favor of the new. Look to kind of net new on your new platform or approach. Just because something has been around for a while doesn't mean it isn't valuable as is. It's again, that sustained bucket. Look for where changes will make a big positive impact. Don't look to make changes because you want to change things. Number 15, be very ambitious in your vision for where you could go, but take it at a reasonable pace. Don't be in so much of a rush that you create more challenges than you address. Finally, number 16, you can sell the value of experimentation at the experiment level. It's hard to just get an overarching experimentation budget, but constantly showing the value of fast experimentation will make it easier to get the time to do more experimentation in the future. Okay, enough of just me. Let's hear from our awesome guest in this interview episode. Okay. Very, very excited for today's episode. I've got Brenda Contreras here, who is the VP of Engineering and Head of Architecture at Self Financial. We're going to be talking about, you know, Self is on kind of the early data mesh journey as well. And I'm really excited because a lot of times people are like, no, you come talk to me when we're in year four or year, year three. And so, um, but at the same time, Brenda has been leading um, Self's kind of decomposition of their operational side of their services side monolith. And so of like, how do you think about decomposing the monolith in a DDD perspective? And then how do we kind of take that and approach that more to data? Because there's so many learnings that we can do. And yet, uh, you know, it's been really difficult to find somebody who has done it on the operational side and then has done it on the analytic side that that isn't shamanic, right? And so, very excited to talk about that and like how do we actually think about finding the the bounds of your context, you know, in in DDD terminology, and then you know we're going to talk about not putting the data capability cart before the host horse. You know, some, sometimes people want to create the data before consumers could actually leverage it. And like, how do we think about positively participating in our own internal data economy? How do you even sell data mesh? And just, you know, throughout, we're going to be talking about their, their data mesh journey thus far. So I'm, I'm very excited because there's a lot of really interesting angles to this. Um, but before we get into that, Brenda, if you don't mind giving people a bit of an introduction to yourself, and then we can jump into the conversation at hand.
0: Thank you. Um, happy Friday. Um, yeah, a little bit about myself. I've been in the industry now for 20 plus years, maybe maybe a little more than that. I'm trying not to age myself. Um, started, you know, software development. Mostly worked. Uh, most of my years were spent about 16 years in the retail industry, so building enterprise. Uh, applications for supply chain and point of sale systems and things like that. So a lot of the internals, um, it it wasn't until about a few years ago that I moved into the financial and fintech per se. So I worked at Charles Schwab um, uh, under the office of CTO with, uh, you know, responsible for a lot of their enterprise applications and moving a lot of their monoliths. Into these microservices type design, um, and then over the last two years, uh, came to self financial with a wonderful mission where we help people build their credit by you know reporting their payment history and um, and things like that. So very um, excited about that because you know data does drive how we approach our customers and how we teach uh, financial responsibility and things like that. Um, Personally, I'm, uh, my husband says I'm a, I'm an addict to anything. So if I start something I have, I, I go crazy with it. He says I have an addictive personality. Um, so one of the things I do a lot is my fitness. So I, I work out every day, no matter what it, I could be in pain, it's going to happen. Um, a mom of three, um, that's, that's a big job in itself. And of course, always trying to challenge myself when it comes to my career. So recently doing a lot of things and um, with women in tech and diversity, diversity and, and inclusion um, initiatives so that, you know, we can attract more people or um, also, um, you know, le- leadership, right? So having mentorship, keep things out there. So I do a lot of talks when it comes to those things. I'm not perfect. I'm, I still get nervous, but I think that it's super important as we grow as leaders to bring up other people that are earlier in their careers.
1: And that's been part of kind of what I've done as well with the podcast is to reach out to a lot of people who maybe aren't as public in a lot of ways and kind of um, kick them off. And, you know, somebody like Liz Henderson, where I was her first podcast and she went, oh, okay, I'm going to go do a bunch of these. And I think she's done like seven or eight since. So it's it's fun to kind of be part of that. Um, so I, I wanted to start with kind of what you were talking about with the the Charles Schwab's side, as well as the self of, like, how do you start to think about approaching a monolith and finding those thin slices, right? How do you think about, because a lot of people on the data side are used to a one or a zero. And when you think about a data monolith, and then you think about as, as a, a zero, and then you're switching to a one... People are kind of picturing it as going in and, and smashing it with a sledgehammer, and it just, you know, decomposes into a lot of shards. But those shards are very sharp, and it's not uh, in, in a uh, great kind of way. Versus, how do we actually start to decompose these in a sensible and scalable manner that doesn't disrupt kind of what you're doing, and that you can also give yourself the space to learn as to. Are we doing this right? Like how are we doing this? So, I'd love to hear how you start to think about just in general looking at that monolith and going, how can we decompose this in a way that's going to be sustainable and make sense and that isn't about doing work, it's about doing the the right thing for us at that time as we provide ourselves the space to learn.
0: Um yeah, so it's interesting that you you know, with Charles Schwab and self, you know, different animals, Charles Schwab, thousands of people, uh, everything's more established. You have teams of, you know, hundreds working on, on a certain domain. There's a lot of work that's already been done to break up the monoliths. So the patterns are kind of set already. Um, I would like to say that when I was at Charles Schwab, That really is where I I guess brought a lot of the learnings, you know, to to how I I approach architecture, just because of how eloquent and how these things were already set. And so it, it gives you a good landscape as to how do you have shared services and what are your your product domains and how do they all play together and things like that. And and really focusing on the omni-channel experience, and that's data all the way, right? Like these dis- different systems of truth for that specific thing that other systems would use, and your customer service, right? That gives that the same values, right? So you didn't want to have member equals something else in this product and member equals something else over here, right? Like it's a it provides a lot of friction for your customers if they have multiple logins for you know, the same, the same, um, I guess product, right? Like Charles Schwab might have five different offerings for you and you have five different logins. And that's, that's not a good experience. So that really gave me a lot of my foundations for DDD. And it, it trained me to think differently when it comes to how you break things up. Now coming into self, um, I always try any, any, anytime I go into a new place, you know, and I've moved up in my career over the last few years. So every, with every jump, I have more responsibility. And so it's super important that I have some kind of framework, like what's my framework when I come in and now I'm over the systems and they're looking to me to set up some kind of tech vision and things like that. So the really, the first things that I did when I came to self was take an inventory so you take an inventory about, you know, what are all the products under this umbrella? Um, look at all the systems. What are they? You know, I know that you can get into the tech uh, stack w- worth of things, but, you know, I le- I kept it more at a high level, right? Starting to draw out this uh, landscape of all the systems. And then really think about how the business works with, with engineering, right? So bis- the business is really... You, you know, they have a certain set of, I guess, expectations. Right. So you might have five products, but they only really care about product A, which is you need to grow this thing by 10, 20, 30 percent. Right. So you're kind of given those those initiatives, not necessarily, you know, executives don't care if you're doing DDD or you know, you built this data pipeline, all they care about at the end is, are we growing? Are we bringing in more customers? What does that look like? What's the drop off rate? What's a conversion rate? uh all these numbers of finance that, you know, I wasn't privy to before. Um, so coming into self, really, it was, where does the business want to go? Because, you know, there, you might have products that are in your system. Sustain bucket where you just yeah they're there you really you know you're not going give, to be given much money or resources to keep growing that product but then there's others where they really want to you know increase x amount of customers coming into that product so really that's where I would start and then drawing out the inventory and and really when when meeting with different engineers and teams and and stakeholders it's really listening. Right, you can't come in with well, you know, Charles Schwab did it like X, Y, Z, so we should do it like that too. You really sit back, listen to um, you know the different use cases, how they use the systems, data, pain points, things like that, and then slowly you draw out this inventory of okay, you have you know five different systems. Here's the different capabilities within them. Now let's identify redundancy. And then from there, then you start putting together a roadmap, right? Like now you're gonna start breaking it up into like shared capabilities and like you know different product domains, and slowly start to carve out. But really, um, and am I am I getting off topic?
1: No, no. I think well, and I think what you're talking about there is if, if I can reflect back and ask you a couple of questions because. That's- what you're talking about is something that's been coming up. It's it's really funny because the last few episodes have been this over and over is just the lean into the listen, right? Like lean into what is your business partner saying? Be, because exactly what you said of what actually matters, right? There's this system that's that's running and it's doing what it needs to be doing. And it's just kind of in maintenance mode. And we don't really care. We don't have to touch it because this isn't the thing we need to modernize. Um, but what I would be asking you then is when you're taking this inventory, you know, a a lot of people want to kind of just get going, get going, finding a use case and get going. But when you're thinking about kind of decomposing that monolith, you're thinking about what matters, like, how do we actually get to what we should be focused on? Do you look for the, when you're first starting, cause it sounded like, uh, correct me if, if I'm wrong, but self was pretty much monolithic when when we when you started there. And so, like, were you looking for the highest impact use case to modernize or were you looking for a safe space to kind of figure out how to do this in a new space, right, where you go, okay, this is something that's going to have a positive business impact, but small mistakes and small learnings, you know, that fail fast attitude aren't going to be catastrophic for the business, like finding that like smaller blast radius, but still important. Is that kind of how you would start when you start to look at where to start on actually decomposing things?
0: Um, yes and no. Um, so I have three things for architecture that I always try to embrace. And I'm, I like to tell a story around each, right? Like, where do we want to focus things on? Why? Because I don't know everything, but the owners of all these systems do, right? So if you start to say how and why, um, not even the how, but what and why you want to do certain things, then the stories kind of form, right? So scalability was probably the key because we were growing really fast. And that was like, one of the biggest things that kept resonating with uh, the executive team and uh, the business um, stakeholders. And so looking at what areas, not only in the monolith, you know, like, yes, there's redundancy here and so forth, but what areas where we're going to run out of um, runway, right? Like at some point, this database, we're at the largest size, you know, what, what happens when, when we get to the end, right? Like we don't want any, any outages or things like that. So looking at what those things were, then that made it easy to really outline, like here are the top three things we have to do, otherwise this thing's going to like fall over. Um, so once we kind of stop the bleeding on some of these things, because really your database is kind of the, the health meter, right, of your systems. And a lot of times you throw all this crap into it. Um, And, you know, early on with a startup, that's what you do, right? You don't have like a data architect and architects and, you know, you don't have time to really think about and do it the right way. You just do it, right? It needs to go live. So uh, database uh, things, uh, how we were using the database was, was our, main priority and starting to break up those capabilities that were like throwing so much data in there was really the first part. And one of them was like email or digital messaging, for example. Um, You know, we send about half a million transactional emails a day uh, and that can slowly fill up your, uh, your database. And then if we're storing any kind of JSON or things like that, as part of that record, you, I mean, just think about that. And then five, seven years ago, streaming processes weren't really like something that were leveraged as easily, right? So throwing event event blobs in there for 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 users, right? Like user did blah, 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 blah. And that's like a JSON blob in there. And again, you know, it's just like, it's like a, a room that at your house where you keep buying stuff, but you're not going to organize. And so just looking at what those things were that, the business needed to do that, um, without that, then, you know, you, we might have a major, like catastrophic, right. We can't open any more credit builder accounts. So that wouldn't be a good thing.
1: Yeah. Well, and, and I'd love to take that, that learning that you were talking about on the operational plane and how you started to to think about that, reflect that into what should you do on the data side, right? Because, there are a lot of learnings that we should take from DDD and recontextualize, decontextualize them a bit, recontextualize them. But there are certain aspects that we should throw out entirely that we need to either reinvent or that are not all that helpful. So like, how did you start to think about what you've been learning? You know, you've been doing this for for a while on the operational side. So when you actually started to approach that for data, what have you found that's useful or not? Right. You know, when you're thinking about the analytics side of prepping the data for analytics, because there it's not as, I mean, it can still, you can put yourself in bad situations from a database perspective, but it's, it's, you know, it's not that, Oh, we can't send out emails. It's like, Oh, our people can't get the information that they need internally, or this can't power the systems that we need it to. So it's not, Necessarily the same issues, but at some point, you know, if we think the analytics side is crucial to our thing, it's it, it is a showstopper for the business. But it's not, you know, a showstopper. The customer doesn't see it immediately. But like, how did you start to think about that aspect of taking what you've learned and then apply that DDD lens to the data monolith? And what what have you found that actually works or doesn't? I, I know it's a, a nebulous question, but People are really trying to figure out how to do this, so any any insight into this is very helpful for a lot of people out there,
0: right? I guess with with how I approach things, it's really telling that story, right? Like, why do we want smaller pieces? um, You know, smaller systems that only do that thing. And how beneficial it'll be to the different teams around the company, right? Like your analytics, your marketing, your um, CS, customer success teams, right? So I think a lot of it was based on telling that story around, well, for, for messaging, right? Like text messaging, whether we do SMS, email, or push notifications or anything, we need it in a centralized place. And this thing needs to be the system of truth, right? So that if other systems needed to learn from it or machine learning or the CS agent needs to see everything that was sent to you, it's super easy just to go there and get it, right? And I think what sold it with a lot of the engineering teams is not necessarily what the data bounds were, but they were so excited to have, to to start thinking about things in a smaller piece because deployments are easier and maintaining a, a smaller database is a lot easier and they're able to work on different things as opposed to a monolith where you have all these capabilities and if you touch one thing um, then that could affect this other thing and if you deploy something to the same database right you might break something else and so that's really how we started tying the bombs and looking at. If we had, because we really are a distributed monolith, so we have three systems that were super huge. That all kind of they they had a main purpose, but then they had like add-ons, right? And it was just identifying those add-ons that really, and 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 trying to sell the idea of you know we really need to remove those so that this thing can just focus on what it does best, right? And when they work with the business, starting to speak the same language, and they don't care about this transactional email when they're talking to you about the member and the member loyalty and whatever that is, right? It, it's it's really that. So the the storytelling and then starting to draw out these concepts with what are all the different data flows internally, externally, where's data going, how does it get to analytics? We use Segment. I don't know if you're familiar with Segment, <laughs> but you know, it's, it's a big data platform where you can send it all these events, right? Your front end, your back end events, in segment, it's powerful enough to, you know, you can set up different destinations, you know, to send these data points, to Braze, back to your Redshift, uh, you name it, right? Um, and so a lo- the our systems are set up to talk to this thing, but at the same time, you know, now we're, because as you grow, right you you add more functionality you add more products it becomes harder for your marketing analytics teams to be deciphering between all these data points on this big massive tool so um <laughs> so it's just really that right like how do you organize things and and how do you get people to you know buy into your idea right cuz i cannot be everywhere and i'm not i don't i don't like to dictate I like to set a vision. I like to have a unified message in plain terms, no tech. Let's not talk about tech. The tech is up to the engineering teams to figure out, right? I don't like one pattern. I think we should have multiple patterns depending on what engineers are comfortable with, right? When it comes to exposing data, you know, like, you know, with CDC, you can have different forms of doing that, Um, you know, pull, push, SQL based, a tool, right? Um, so I don't care about that. It's having people start thinking in smaller pieces, right. And what makes sense. How,
1: so how did you approach where to start? Like you're finding your initial use case, because that's been a thing where a lot of people are very concerned, right. Of, okay, I have to get this perfect. I have to get this right. I'm I'm writing a, one of my mesh musings about this right now of like, how do you find this initial domain? How do you get them bought in? But like, how did you start to, to figure that out? And then we can, we can dig into from that, like how do you actually put your bounds around your context? Because, you know, some people are going really tiny. Some people are going pretty big. And Jamak is saying kind of go really like focus on the smaller, uh, at least for the, the source line. But then you start to have a ton of data products and then can people actually find it? So if you don't do your discovery really well, then it just becomes this uh, amazing amount of, of great information that nobody can figure out. <laughs> how to use or leverage or anything like that. So again, this is one of those, I'm not asking for the perfect answer, but like, how did you start to think about how do we find where we want to start to find these things to split out to be able to independently scale? Was it finding the things that were going to need more scalability soon that were the, the, going to be the big focus or like, how did you start to, to kind of do that at the start rather than, you know, six months in kind of
0: thing? Um, and like I said, a lot of it came from how Schwab broke down their monolith and I got to see it because they're, I mean, they're still running mainframes over there. But over the last 10 years, they've really embraced this whole DDD and started to break up their shared services. And how, and, and what are those when it comes to... A, it's not the same for every industry, right? But luckily, FinTech, it is similar. And so when I came to self, it was, I'm all about bigger chunks. So you're not gonna, I, I would never recommend like 20 domains, no way. But there's a certain handful of shared services, for example, that your products are all gonna use, right? And that's where you start there. The product should be focused on that. And by product, I mean, let's say you have, a credit builder account and all that thing is is a loan offering for people to sign on and they select a rate they select a month uh, a monthly terms and all that and that's all it does right so what are our products separate that and what are the things that every product or even internal systems need right so everybody needs to be able to send a message um Everybody needs to pay, right? Like all the products, they all need to make payments, right? Like you're a user, you're gonna need to make payments, so there a payments domain. Um, authentication, right? We need authentication to be authentic- not not just in internal tokens, but also like you're authenticating with MFA and things like that for your clients. Um, so you see, as you start to like build these things, and then as you as you build these domains. Then when you think about when you're adding capabilities, then think a little smaller, right? So if you're going to have a messaging domain, well, you might want to have an email. Then you have another subdomain for like push or whatever, right? Um, Templates, right? So you start to kind of separate so that the the teams, as they are getting enhancements, things like that, different te- different engineers can be moved around, right? Things are a lot easier to make a change. In a monolith, I think people quit. They quit if they're like playing with spaghetti code like every day. So I guess that's where I started and selling that idea that let the product domain, hey, go knock yourself out. Like that's where you're best at. Go focus on the UX, go focus on, you know, bank um, agreements and, and, and whatnot, but then the rest of the shared services, even like fraud, for example, right? Nobody thinks about fraud, but what are those utilities that are needed across a domain so you can identify like a- account takeovers or that's really your ACH account, right? Um, and then part of our, our strategy is really when do we buy versus build, And so that really does begin to play into how we break things up because if we integrate with a third party tool, then we'd want to have something smaller where we're not just relying on, on X company. Maybe we want to switch it to Y company and, and so forth. Um, And then our biggest thing that I try to sell to my executives is shared uh, self-service where we want the business to experiment, make changes, change the rules, right? The eligibility rules around, you know, a customer being offered this or that. Um, it shouldn't be engineering. Engineering shouldn't have to make a code change to figure out data point A plus data point B is going to equal C. And so that's where, you know, uh, making those those uh, kind of, I guess you called it like uh the lines of the the bonded context has really been key um, for that.
1: How how do you think about that specifically on the analytics side, right? Because we haven't done that. It's been kind of this big, big data warehouse, or we have a data lake where there are kind of bounded contexts, but nobody's really defining them and nobody's really (laughs) managing them and, and taking care of them. So when we start to think about decomposing that on the analytics side, like, where where is there anything specific that you started with? Was it we started with a use case where we knew that this had a, a good return, but it wasn't necessarily if it, that this was going to be make or break or, you know, a lot of people try to say it, this needs to be the perfect initial use case or the most impactful initial use case. And it's like, no, 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 you need to learn. You need to give your space. You give yourself that space and room to learn, but like, how did you start to choose those on the analytics side? Because people are trying to, to figure out what, how do I go forward? How do I actually kind of start on the data mesh journey? I've, I've got everything, I've got everybody bought in, but like, okay, now, now what?
0: (laughs) Yeah. Um, our initial solution was really a, uh, SQL based, cdc where we have a service that pulls against our data stores it we we literally this the sequel you tell it exactly which fields to grab Um, and then there's a cadence of how often this thing runs and that would push it down into our data warehouse as we're growing you know your your data schemas grow right and there's certain now you're collecting more data points or maybe some become moot right so these things kind of change i'm to the approach of let's be practical, right? We shouldn't just throw away everything that's there if we don't need to, right? Cause you can, we can actually move faster if we start to experiment on smaller things like smaller sets of things. So working on net new and starting a pattern for how do we get those data points into our data pipeline was really where, where I started. Um, and then identifying what that pipeline is, and you know we have overzealous engineers sometimes. That are like, well, I heard about this, and here's how Amazon recipe is for for these things. But you know, it's almost like let's start small. Like, fine, you ha- you're setting up your pipeline. We don't want it to be over engineered. But all those things that are net new, like let's say we added now the payments domain, right? So now we have to send all those data points down to analytics. It's now a push model, right? So we're we're focusing on that data as a product, a pattern. Now, how the data gets there, that's where I don't want to dictate to the engineering teams how to do it, right? Because some people have more time. Some people want to write, you know, airflow jobs and, and that sort of thing. Or you stand up like, you know, a data migration service or whatever the cloud offering is to pull, to do that, that, that. Transformation for you, but really, how the the engineering teams and the product teams have worked is establishing what data, right? So even forget about the how; it's like what, and so they've really been embracing the whole uh, bronze, gold model standards. Where do you send raw data points, or do you send aggregated data points, right? That's calculated, and you know a lot of times analytics and marketing, they want everything. And I think I've really started pushing for anything aggregated. It's not always the truth and it's going to change. So if we can just send raw data points and then have the, you know, the analytics teams and marketing teams set up their own reporting and things like that, that I think that just gives them more data at hand faster. Right. Yeah. Well, I think,
1: a couple of things there that that really resonate with me as well is, so I think it was Mike Alvarez that recently talked about kind of working at the speed of business and going in and saying, hey, the experiments shouldn't be on the engineering team because that's a centralized bottleneck. So we're going to give you the capabilities to run your experiments quickly and and do like a small scale test and go, Hey, what actually happens when we do this? All right. Like, let's figure out what's going to be statistically significant and see what, what goes down. And then we can quickly turn on, turn off. Like we can do that, that aspect of things. And then, um, you know, but at a small, much smaller scale, you kept talking about this small scale experiments. If you look in Schmack's book, especially in the first, um, I think in the prologue and especially the first chapter, she keeps talking about smaller and smaller experiments that you can run, you know, and then it comes a little bit crazy around statistics of, okay, we've got 17 <laughs> experiments going on at the same time that are kind of around the same thing. But like that the ability to see what would be better or would this be better isn't a, a difficult endeavor, right? It's it's not something like... I kind of think about this when we talk about human to human interaction and people are like, how do I have this human to human interaction? It's like, everybody's so different that you can't have that at scale, right? You can't, you can't really think about, okay, this is how you optimally have, you know, interpersonal things. This is something that a lot of people, especially, you know, people on the autism spectrum and stuff really struggle with. And, but that smaller and smaller ability means that, you have limited blast radius and that you're giving people the capabilities to hey you know this thing that you think only has a 10% chance of success but if it's successful it 5x's your business instead of this being a 6 month thing and you're making a big bet on it you make a small little bet and you go we're just going to test this and see okay no it really doesn't work okay shut it down or hey there's something here. We didn't actually get what we thought we were going to get, but we also didn't get what we didn't think we'd get. And so there's something new here that we've got to investigate and we've got to, it gives us an ability to find more signals even when we're wrong on things and that fast fail and iterating towards value. And then you talked about the net new, which I think was really, really useful. This was something Carlos Mateo also talked about of there's so much of a desire, especially with new platforms and things, to ask people to lift and shift. And that just doesn't work, right? So you're going, hey, we're opening up the bounds of possibilities for you. We're opening this up so that you can do these new things, but we're not trying to reinvent the same exact thing that's already working for you. If something's not working for you, let's replace it with a couple of different aspects of net new and we can slowly, you know, there's the strangler fig pattern of like we can um, encapsulate around this and just slowly pull out more and more capabilities. But that a lot of what you're saying there, I mean, if I were to sum it up, it's just like, take your time, Don't be overly ambitious, but like, be overly ambitious in your vision, but don't be overly ambitious in your uh, day-to-day operations and like, make this so that this stuff isn't so hard and that you don't have to have this massive amount of, you know, the monolith of the massive amount of context of, if I change this thing, it's going to break this thing, or it's going to change this other thing. Like, we're just making it so you can focus on the day-to-day of what are you trying to figure out? How are you trying to make the business better instead of like, I have to have that giant picture of how everything interacts. So like, I think there's a lot in there of, of what you said, but I, I want to give you space to react to that. Cause you know, did I get anything wrong or is there anything that you want to add on to
0: that? Or, No, no, that's exactly um, what I'm trying to say.
1: Okay. And, and one thing that we were talking about as well in the, in the pre-call that I think aligns to this as well was like don't put the data cart, uh, capability cart before the horse, right? That we can be overly ambitious in data about. Wouldn't it be nice if you had this thing? And they're like, well, that doesn't align to my key strategic capabilities or my what I'm focused on or what I'm measured on. So you were talking about this like listening, and and I wish that we just every single data podcast or whatever would say, first, listen to your constituents, listen to your partners. But like, how are you finding that? How are you extracting from them what actually matters so that you can build towards what matters? Because this has been, I don't know why this is a difficult conversation in data. It feels like it shouldn't be. But it seems like it always, always is. And is it because everybody starts to try and move too fast to solutioning and to, to data? You know, of this is how you'd structure the data and this is how you do that versus the like, what are you actually trying to do? Let's break it down, like let's make the strategic bets, like what's going on? Like how, what advice would you give? I know it's a little difficult sometimes to say, well, just listen, but like what what have you found that really works when going and having those conversations and extracting what matters from people?
0: Yeah, um, I think what, you know, we recently went through an acquisition about a year ago. So we brought in a new product offering and integrating their data into our pipeline was super important because we needed to start um, analyzing that, right? What's working, what's not working, conversion rate of all these, you know, the different funnels right into this new product. Um, And when you bring in a new product line from a different, you know, this was an acquisition, things are different, right? Like their tech stacks are different. They had a different database. They had a different way of running reports. Um, I think our success there was really to button up, like, as you mentioned Let's start small. what are the necessary pieces, right? because when we got it all in a room, the business with the technology folks, the business was give us everything and give us this and calculate that and what about this and that looks amazing and and you know it was really you know doing workshops and starting to I guess whiteboard right these uh, these different schemas. And from my point of view, it was really, What's most important? What gives you what you need to start like doing this today? Because if you want everything, that's going to take all this time, right? But we can deliver this and we can start to add to it and learn and move faster, right, when it comes to it. So it's really putting those... When I solution with my teams, it's really about that multi-faced approach, right? Like, let's get what we need out the door. Let's learn from it. Oh, that didn't work. Let's try something else, right? But when you start smaller, you don't fail as fast because you're starting with a little foundation pieces. So that's what's worked for me. Like I I think it's a lot of collaboration with the business and engineering just to identify like what exactly are we trying to solve for.
1: Yeah, it's it's funny the like what are you trying to do conversation and like just focusing on that so much. But like, have you found that? Your business partners lean in. I mean, this is this is different in every organization. There are some organizations where they don't lean into this conversation. But like, how have you found to communicate to them? Do you have any kind of secret sauce as to, hey, I- I'm going to reflect back to you what you just said, like what you're actually trying to do, and then we're gonna we're gonna focus on what you're trying to do instead of how do I do it? Like, I, you you trust me to take care of the how, but like. Or, or you trust me to enable you to take care of the how, you know, because we want to give people the capabilities to do this stuff instead of the central team. But like, how are you having that to do that and to push back on that, give us everything? Because people haven't had good access to data. And so when you say, what data would you like access to? They say, give us everything and we'll sort through it. And it's like, no, that's not going to work. That doesn't work for many, many reasons. Like let's focus on what drives value. Like, how do you get from that? Like, just give us everything and we'll figure it out to focusing on what matters and getting to them. What's actually going to drive the most value now. And what's, what's capable, what you're capable of doing
0: now. Uh, For me, what's worked is really that plan. Um, And, and you start to, I guess, roll, Put together that map, right? If we do this, we can set up this, and here's the value you get out of it in X amount of time. Um, has really cutting it into chunks has really made people see the value of what what they can get. And I forgot what I was gonna say. I knew that. <laughs> um, it's it's really a conversation with with the business on that and and really aligning on the timing because everybody's, everybody's interested in seeing this thing to fruition. Right. And smaller businesses like ours, we don't have like the long runways that like a Schwab has. We really need to start, you know, seeing the value of what's working on our platform sooner than later. So if, if we all align on parity, so I would, I would say that apples to apples, right? Like it's, it's good to get more, but like what gets us to where we're at today, right? And when it comes to an acquisition, it's you had this, now you're going to have this over here. And then from there, you can add on like, um, you know, member events, right, that are not stateful and things like that, that require more plumbing to be set up in our in our architecture. So outlining it that way with a target state And that's where, how I sell my ideas is is here's the Ferrari at the end, but you're going to start with this and slowly we can go to this and, and you can learn from it and you can keep adding and, and you, and you do kind of inception a little bit (laughs) where you kind of like, I think I'm a salesperson a lot of times in technology because you kind of have to sell your idea of where you should start and where it's like, Hey dude, I'll get you that like in a couple of months, but let's start here.
1: Yeah. Well, I get that. Of like historically with data, it's been kind of all or nothing. So if something didn't get included in the project, then it didn't get included, right? It's not that, but when we think about a product, we think about, Okay, that will be a future feature. Like, we're going to have the roadmap around this. And, you know, you want the Ferrari. We're starting with a race car bed, but at least you can sleep in it. At least you can get, you can do something with it. And that you're making it so that there, yeah. um, there is a clear line of sight and that you've told them, I hear you. It's not that I'm delivering you this thing that isn't what you wanted, but I'm delivering it to you so we can evolve towards that, that we can actually get to where that goes. And and I think that, you know, salesperson kind of of thing is, um, is important in data. And a lot of data people don't want to hear that, but a lot of it's just like, how can we get there in a path that makes sense, that limits the, the, kind of cost of any learnings along the way. We don't even have to call them failures, we can call them learnings. But like how do we make this so that we can get there with maximum value relative to risk and that we aren't we aren't doing risky bets simply because if this thing pays off great, but how can we get there where we don't have to have very much of a chance of it paying off? We know how to, <laughs> to or that we find early it's not going to pay off and that we can shut that down and that's an okay outcome right because we learned we didn't we didn't throw good money after bad that we really focused on that aspect of things so yeah I, I like a lot of, of of what you're you're kind of putting out there um is there anything more more that you wanted to kind of add on that because I did want to talk especially I wanted to wrap up around the um selling the data mesh concept and and just in general kind of The microservices, whether it's microservices on the operational or the analytical, but I'd love to kind of dig into that. But I want to give you space to kind of react if if I said anything crazy or if you want to dig any deeper on stuff.
0: No, no, I think it's you know with every company it's different, right? And sometimes you in certain companies you work with more difficult people, and a lot of times the the old data people that they're so you know it's like a big ownership thing, right? And, and change is really hard. And I think when you start working in more diverse groups where you have different ideas from different um, companies or industries, it does become a very collaborative and, and exciting um, endeavors, right? Where everybody's kind of changing their ideas so that you know we can come to some common set goal so I think it also depends on the <laughs> on the group you're with. Uh, at Self, I work with amazing people. So everybody's very um, open to new ideas.
1: Yeah. I, I, I saw that a little bit, especially in the early data mesh conversations of kind of, there's this attitude of the people are too stupid to work with data. We're the only ones who are smart enough to deal with it. And that's a legacy approach, thankfully, it's not prevalent very much in the actual set of people that are doing data mesh, so I don't have to deal with it. But like that's a common pushback of like these people don't know how, you know, these people aren't kind of in our group, right? So we should continue to exclude them instead of bring them in. And, and you know, I've kind of said, gates open, come on in, like whatever. like that's how I want to think about data mesh in, in a lot of ways of you don't have to be perfect. And we can get to good results, and then we can iterate together. Because the more perspectives that you're talking about, the more learning we can have together. So, yeah, I I, I really I, I like that approach to it, and I like that kind of, hey, we all just need to be uh, respectful of each other in that we can all bring something to this. So, um, but I did want to talk about that. You, you talked a little bit about kind of selling the idea, but like one of the things that I'm I'm having a lot of people come to me with is one, how do I get my initial domain for data mesh bought in? Because, you know, how do you do funding? How do you do all of that stuff? Like, I'd love to hear some of the, what you've learned from your, your journey. And then like, just in general, how do you go to your higher ups and be like, we need to fund this thing, right? Like, you know, you're, I I presume you report into the CEO or whatever, and that you're, you're saying, okay, we need to fund this. We need to to do this. Um, and we have to, to get benefit from it now as, you know, that incremental value delivery. So like lots of different questions can emerge from that, but like, how did you start to think about um, having that, like finding that initial domain and getting them bought in that it's like, you're going to do something different. This is going to be new and we're going to be comfortable with what's going on, but like, it's also going to be very new.
0: Right. Um, and when I started a couple of years ago, there was no architecture, like there was zero. It was just engineering product, get it out the door. So, you know, we didn't think about design as thorough as we do today, right? When you start creating more process and process exists for a reason. And I think you can become efficient if you apply the same patterns and things like that. But how I, I sell it even today, um, I just proposed something this week to this, to a couple of the C's. And I like to, I, I listen a lot to our leaders. to like executives and the C team, when they talk about where they see certain pain points, where they want to go, like business strategy. Right. And right now we're in a interesting time in our, in our country when it comes to the macroeconomics of things. Right. So things were great. Data was good, but now data is super important. We got to know what's working. We got to know what's not working. We got to turn off stuff that is costing us. Right. Um, So when I when I think about any solution, I really start with what are what are the business objectives? What's the business strategy this year? And then I start to break that up into what's our tech approach for that? And slowly, uh, different solutions can come out of it. Uh, for example, we need we need to be more more be able to experiment more. We need to be more flexible, right? And those are just words you hear. Everybody says these things, but what I do is I tie that to a story. Like here's a tech story to allow for these things, right? That if we set up this solution that offers this data, that business can be the owners of that and they can make changes, we can experiment and then, you know, we can test things out and 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 that sort of thing. So it's really that story around what is, what what are you proposing, Brenda? Like what's your solution and how does it tie to our strategy? And it has to, it has to have business value. It's not just, well, I think it's cool and let's do it right. Like the old stuff is sucks and the developers hate it. Right. And that's a, there's a lot of truth in that because no one likes working on like older legacy systems that, you know, they're a little more complex to maintain. But if, but if we think about more of it, like the whole business value strategy, then we can, we, I've, I sell it. And I sell it a lot faster than anything. And a lot of CTOs and technologists fail only because they come in with like that technology brain, and they feel like they have to implement this huge tech, this huge tech architecture to lead their brand behind. And you know, sometimes it's not the way to go. Like if you want to set up. Um, and I'm forgetting what that's called, that data pattern where you have like a centralized view of every data model or something. i it's a, it's a common name.
1: Hob and or. Uh,
0: anyways, <laughs> but you know, they, they try to set up these complex enterprise systems, right? Like we're going to do MuleSoft and we're going to tie everything together to this thing. And and I don't, I don't find that that works really well. I think that you iterate small and you sell your, your solutions on a practical level.
1: Yeah. And I think what you're saying in there as well, like I, I'd like to dig in a little bit more into one aspect that you talked about, because I think it's the most important when we think about data mesh and that's getting buy-in for the business value of experimentation because we have to try to find better ways to do things because our competitors are going to be doing the same thing and if they find better ways faster than us then they're going to be you know consistently out executing us and you know not to throw the fearmonger thing or out, out there or anything but that how do you Talk about that value of experimentation because a lot of people go, a lot of people are trying to think about direct return on investment for data work. And, you know, how do we measure this? And it's like, well, you have to actually talk with the people that you're empowering. Like, what's the value of the work that they did? I don't know what's the value of this, this, you know, um, analytical output that somebody is doing. What is the value to them? And they go, Oh, well, it helps us make decision XYZ. Well, what's the value of making that decision? Oh, well, you know, it was our decision whether to enter this new market. And we made a decision that we shouldn't because it's not valuable. What's the value of not making that decision? Well, that's a really difficult conversation, but there's clear business value there. But when we start to walk it back into experimentation, you know, you're like, Hey, I just want to try a bunch of things like that's not going to get the value. That's not going to see the value input, but that you were talking about that clear line of sight from us being able to iterate and and improve has a clear value statement. So I just love to hear how you actually think about trying to secure that enough budget to experiment appropriately and that you have enough space to experiment where it's not just like, we're just going to go off and run a bunch of experiments and be crazy, mad scientists.
0: I think when I, when I speak about experimentation, it's about around a certain thing. Um, And that could be around like your offers, your promotions, your eligibility rules, things like that. Um, And then you have, of course, like your front end, right. Changing things up so that you can experiment what works, what doesn't work with um, your drop-off rates, right. Or, Conversion rates and things like that, um, and I, I like I have three things I follow with every solution: is it scalable? Is it flexible with efficiency? And then last, is it cost effective? So a lot of the the solutions is really around if we start to build this domain or this lever here that can give you hands on to data to drive certain decisions. You need less resources, right? Like less engineering folks, less, it's faster time to market, things like that, right? You can iterate faster from the business side. And so proposing those, those solutions with, um, like front ends, right? So a lot of it are like third party integrations into our, our, um, platform really, um, First of all, it's faster, right? And some of it is not as expensive because you don't have to spend like a year building like a, a promotion engine, for example. <laughs> um, so things like that. It's like where's opportunity for that when it comes to like other areas in the in the business. Like recently, we just started using LaunchDarkly. Um, those are key. Like you can, you can. It's kind of black and white. Like with this thing, it's gonna it's gonna take a little time to put it in there, but here's the the benefit of it. Right.
1: Yeah. I, th- I, I just think, yeah, it's so important to be able to, uh, I like what you said of be like contained around it of like, you just have to give us a bunch of money to experiment versus like, Hey, we're trying to figure out how we do this better. So we need to be able to enable ourselves to figure out and test some things around this because, And then, you know, you could talk to your business partner or whatever, but a lot of times they're like, oh, if we are better at our offerings, then of course we're going to grow. Like if we get 10% better at this, then it means a, you know, X percent financial impact and things like that, that a lot of the business people can put that together, but they have to know like why are we trying to do this as a business, not why are we trying to do this from a data perspective? Why are we trying to to play around with these things? I think it's really important. So right. yeah, I, I, I think we've, we've covered a whole heck of a lot of things. Um, is there anything we didn't cover that you'd like to, or any way you'd kind of want to wrap up the episode, any button you want to put on it?
0: Um, just one, you know, it's really that leadership, right? So having a good executive team and Working with all the layers of your cross your cross your company is super important. Um, having those unified messaging with uh, what's the strategy across the orgs is really what's going to drive a company to success. If everybody feels like we're all marching to the same you know beat of the drum, you know coming from big orgs, you get lost. Your you know your team could be over like. They could be the owners of these badass little systems, but you know, when the business, when the executives don't really like, there's no collaboration, like you don't know what you're doing as a whole, you're very dispersed and your data suffers, right? Because you only give what's asked. But if you, you make all these teams part of the solution, you can come up with so many ideas, right? Like they each owner of that data, right? And you, we talked about owners of data, but really the, the, the teams that work with these systems are the ones that are intimate with this data. They know this data. They know how this data came to be. And if you include them on the strategy side of things, I mean, you know, you can, sky's the limit, right?
1: Yeah, it's it's. I mean, that's kind of what we're trying to do with data mesh too. Of like, these people know their stuff, and so if we put it in their hands and make it so that we can leverage that at the enterprise level, at the organizational level, then we've got that scalability. But we've also got much better context embedded, and we can find additional interesting things. So. Well, I'm sure, Brenda, there's going to be a lot of people that would love to follow up with you. Uh, Is there any place specifically that you'd like people doing that or anything specific you'd want them following up about?
0: Um, LinkedIn is usually where I live, so.
1: Okay. Well, I'll I'll drop a link to that in the show notes as per usual. But uh, thank you so much, Brenda, for spending the time here with me today. And as well, thank you, everyone out there for listening. Thank you. I'd again like to thank my guest today. Brenda Contreras, who's the VP of Engineering and Architecture at Self Financial. You can find a link to her LinkedIn in the show notes as per usual. Thank you. Hopefully that interview episode was really useful for you. Please do consider getting in touch with guests from the show, from these episodes. Most have said they'd really love people to reach out to them. And please, as well, if you've got a minute, rate and review the podcast somewhere. It really is honestly super helpful for other people looking into kind of data podcasts to kind of get this in front of them. Data Mesh Radio is again provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It's produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. In April of 2023, I left DataStax, who were wonderful in getting the Data Mesh community stuff started, so give them a shout for streaming and real-time AI needs. But I left to start my own industry analyst kind of information-as-a-service firm, our offerings are affordable and you can do them on a one-off or a month to month basis you know read kind of throw it on the credit card don't worry about like going through purchasing and things like that the services include lots of practitioner roundtables you know one-on-one data mesh kind of planning or feedback sessions and tailored introductions to other data mesh practitioners that are focused around your topics of interest you know what what are you actually running into challenges with we also have some free programs around introductions and roundtables that people can kind of check out as well Check the show notes or just go to datameshunderstanding.com for more info or helpful resources. As always, if you have suggestions for guests or topics, please do get in touch as well. And have a wonderful rest of your day. Now let's hear that funky outro music.